You're listening to the Club Lucha Podcast. Hello and welcome to the third episode of the Club Lucha Podcast. I am your host, Foos, and today we've got a pretty exciting episode. I wanted to start the episode again by saying if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or statements that you'd like for me to read, please feel free to send an email to theclublucha at gmail.com. That is theclublucha at gmail.com. This is the best way to contact me and make sure I see your message. Um, I will be checking it. I check it uh, at least once a day or once every other day to make sure um, I'm seeing any messages people have sent. Um, I am so happy for the support on the Club Lucha podcast and Club Lucha in general. I will continue to try my best to make entertaining, educational content on Lucha Libre and um, really, I guess, promote Lucha Libre to uh, people who may not be super familiar or people who have an interest and uh, want to know a little bit more about it. Um, really, any pro wrestling. So, with that, let's go ahead and jump into our episode. First thing, the news. Since our last episode a few weeks ago, a lot of events have happened. There's been some really high quality wrestling throughout various promotions. Um, first, let's take a look at Forbidden Door. It was a pretty great show overall. In terms of lucha, specific Mexican luchadors, there's not a lot to discuss here. There weren't really any lucha guys on the main card. Um, I was excited to see Naito work, um, Tetsuya Naito, uh, but the actual match that he was in, uh, it, it left a lot to be desired in my eyes. It was okay. It wasn't bad, but it was, it was okay. Um, it felt a little flat for me. I was most impressed by Kenny Omega and Will Ospreay, and I will say they had the best match of the night. Um, Brian Danielson. Super tough guy for breaking his arm and continuing to wrestle. His match with Okada was very good, but I don't think it outshined Omega and Osprey. Um, after the event, I saw some comments made by Naito, uh, and they were really interesting to me, about Roosh and Andrade and how he wished that um, they were at the event and if they were there next year he would like to stand in the same ring as them and this were comments made to uh, Dark Pro Flosion which is uh, a Twitter account who also covers um, pro wrestling I think they mainly cover like New Japan and Japanese wrestling but you know I really like Naito um, and we're going to be actually talking about him here in a little bit when we talk about uh, CMLL but I'm not sure what the possibility of having Roosh and Andrade team up with Naito at the next Forbidden Door. Um, I would love it, but as you know, you know, the three of them were key. Well, yeah, I guess you can say that. Three of them were key key members of Los Ingobernables and the offshoot Los Ingobernables de Japón. But like you may know, Roosh and Andrade, they left CMLL. CMLL owns that name. And I'm not sure what their relationship with CMLL is like now. I know uh, that at the time, Roosh did not leave on the greatest terms. I'm not sure that Andrade left on the greatest terms either when he left for WWE. Or maybe he's made some comments between now and then. Um, I do know that neither Roosh nor Andrade are working for AAA anymore. So 
maybe they can fix the relationship with CMLL and we see what happens. Um, I'd be, you know, I'd be happy with seeing the three of them at the next Forbidden Door together. Anyways, let's keep moving forward. Uh, this is the event. This next event is one that we're going to be talking about for a lot of the episode because it was a pretty big event for Lucha Libre. Uh, of course, I am talking about Fantastica Mania. Uh, that was this past week, exactly um, as I'm recording this, one week from today, last Friday. CMLL and New Japan Pro Wrestling's Fantastica Mania. And this was a really, really great show, in my opinion. Um, so the entire event, Fantastica Mania, it was, it was more of a tour um, throughout Mexico uh, featuring New Japan stars Naito, Bushi, Desperado, um, Doki, and Tiger Mask 4. Multiple shows throughout the week. Um, in you know the various arenas that CMLL runs shows in, and the biggest, I guess their most um, important show was the Friday show at Arena Mexico. This Fantastica Mania was not only a collaboration um, between New Japan and CMLL, but it was also a celebration for El Satanico hitting 50 years in his career. Satanico even got a video message from the first Tiger Mask who he wrestled over in New Japan. And I will say, Satanico wrestling at this event, because he did wrestle uh, at Fantastica Mania, in my eyes, is wildly impressive. Satanico is 73 years old. It's not like he's working shows, you know, every single week. He still does shows. Uh, but I think one of Satanico's biggest duties right now in CMLL is being the head of the Gimnasio de Diablo Velasco, which is uh, CMLL's wrestling school in Guadalajara. I think it's also, I think it's like the oldest wrestling school, continuously running wrestling school um, out right now. I, you know, don't, might need to fact check that, but I do think it is the oldest one continuously running. And Satanico... I want to take a little bit of time to talk about him because that is a very impressive career, 50 years. Um, and he is a very unique and special guy because uh, if we just judge his in-rink work and his longevity, that's Hall of Fame worthy uh, in and of itself, right? But then you add his training, um, his work as a trainer and an instructor. And again... <laughs> I think that the, the the case could be made that that is another Hall of Fame-worthy thing that he has done. If you look at the list of the guys that Satanico has trained, right? Basically anybody who, uh, basically anybody who has gone through CMLL, um, through their schools, right? Andrade, El Idolo, right? La Sombra, um, Averno. Uh, Dragon Rojo Jr., Esfinge, Euphoria, um, Metallic, a.k.a. the original Mascara Dorada, Psycho Clown, Soberano Jr., Black Taurus, Stuka Jr., Tejano Jr., Titan, Volador Jr. This is literally me just skipping down a list, too. I'm not even naming, like, everybody he's trained. These are just some of the more prominent names that really jump out if you have uh, kept up with Lucha... Um, I guess really over the last 10, 15, 20 years, you'll see all these guys who came out uh, who have been trained by Satanico in one form or another. 
Um, Satanico himself, he actually had training from the most legendary uh, trainer in uh, not just Lucha Libre, but I would say the most legendary pro wrestling trainer in history. And I'm saying that. I'm saying that maybe that might be controversial to some people, but I think, you know, the case could be made if you, again, look at the people who Diablo Velasco trained, right? Um, and I think there will be another video here in the future, probably a short video I'll make for TikTok or YouTube just talking about Diablo Velasco. But he is one of the most legendary guys. If you look up um, people who he trained, these were a lot of the guys who in the 80s, uh, uh, maybe also 70s, 80s, 90s, really, really came up and really, really made a name for themselves. Um, some of his students, Cien Caras, right? Uh, Mascaraño 2000, Universo 2000, Ringo Mendoza, Atlantis, Bestia Salvaje, Mil Mascaras, Solar, El Dandy, Perro Aguayo. The list is, you know, just so long. These are just like some of the big names that I've taken, right? And I'm talking about now. But the list for Diablo Velasco is so long. Like he he really trained anybody who was anybody. Um and Satanico has an interview. I think it's with with Plug the Lucha. I was watching it the other day. Um as part of uh the celebrations for Fantastica Mania. And I just this is a this is going to be a big plug right here. Plug for uh, uh, Blog de la Lucha. If you're an English speaker, you may have trouble um with their interviews, but if you're a Spanish speaker, if you understand Spanish or Maybe you can get it translated. Maybe I think they might have English Coast captions. I have not checked for that, but they have some very insightful interviews with a lot of very famous, legendary guys, guys who were really top guys of their time with a lot of insight. And they talk with Satanico about um, El Diablo Velasco and what it was training um, with him. And I highly recommend that video for anyone who has not seen it or maybe is interested in what his training was like. But it, he was like a serious dude and he really it really shows how his training paid off for a lot of these guys. Um, as for the actual match between Satanico and Tiger Mask 4 at the Friday show, it was surprisingly solid for a 73-year-old man. Um, and I think that is a bit on a curve because I would judge a match different if it's someone who is younger versus someone who is 73 right? But Satanico, in my eyes, from what I was seeing, he was moving better than some people who are 50-year-olds still wrestling, right? Um, but, you know, he was still keeping it realistic. He wasn't doing anything insane. He wasn't taking any insane bumps off the top rope or anything through tables, nothing like that. But for 73, I do want to say that was a pretty solid match. It ended in a draw um, with Tiger Mask. There was not a definitive winner, uh, the ending could have been quite a bit better. I thought Satanico, it would have been better if he just got himself disqualified by ripping off Tiger Mask's mask, but, you know, it was still very good. And again, like I was talking about him training, um, I, I guess I just want to end saying this. Satanico, he is a legend who was trained by a legend who I want to say has trained future legends. That's... That's the importance of, of Satanico for CMLL and Lucha Libre in general. Anyways, let's keep talking about Fantastica Mania. Um, I watched part of the Tuesday show and the entire Friday show. 
And I don't know if I will, but CMLL has a new members-only YouTube channel um, where they're posting... I think you get access to stream the Tuesday night shows from now on. And you get the Friday shows a week after. And I think you'll eventually get a backlog of shows, like a legacy... I don't know what you would call it. Like a catalog of old shows. Uh, it's like $12 a month, but it's if we're being 100% real, the value is not there yet. Um, Lucha Blog, again, plugging Lucha Blog. If you don't follow him on Twitter, go ahead and give that. Go get go ahead and give that uh, account a follow. Um, they had a pretty good breakdown of it, uh, detailing what you get for the $12 a month, the members-only YouTube channel. I agree with them. Not worth it yet. If they put up a lot of legacy content, a lot of older historical content, maybe yes, definitely worth it. But as it is now, hmm, no, you're not you're not really getting much. Um, but if you do subscribe, if you end up subscribing, you're like, I don't really care about the cost. Uh, you can watch, I think you could watch Fantastic Mania probably today. If you can't watch it today, you can watch it next week for free. So it's really, do you do you care about a week? of uh, delay or not and do you care enough to watch the tuesday shows which used to be free last week's was free this week eh, not so much right anyway um the most notable moments from the friday show fantastica mania um mascara dorada 2.0 they debuted um los ingobernables de japón they had a match and then Rocky Romero defended his historic welterweight championship against Volador Jr. Also, the Satanico and Tiger Mask match, but we already talked about that a little bit. Um, you got my thoughts on that already. So let's talk about these three. If you have been following CMLL recently, then you will know that this Fantastica Mania Friday show was the debut, the first match of Mascara Dorada 2.0. His previous persona was Panterita del Ring Jr., son of Panterita del Ring. And he had a fantastic, fantastic debut for the new persona. I'm still undecided on which match was better, his match with Desperado or the main event um, between Rocky Romero and Volador Jr. Both fantastic, both really, really good matches. But Mascara Dorada 2.0, I'm just going to call him Mascara Dorada 2. He seemed to really, really impress uh, the fans at Arena Mexico with his reactions that he was getting during the show. Um, he was fast. He was very smooth. A lot of high flying. A lot of just really impressive athletic stuff that he was pulling off. Made it look really good, too. I think they made a great choice giving Pantarita the Ring Jr., um, this persona, um, the first Mascara Dorada, you know him now. If you watch WWE, you know him as uh, Gran Metalik. He was um, he was in the Cruiserweight Classic, really good there. He had really good matches in Cruiserweight Classic, and then he really didn't do anything of substance. Classic WWE. He, you know, he had some good matches now and then, but wasn't really featured in any. Meaningful way, part of Lucha House Party. I don't think Lucha House Party really did anything um, that will be remembered by anyone who's, I guess, just not fans of 
the three guys who are in it. But um, now he's just Metallic. Um, he was on AEW. He's coming back, actually, to CMLL here in July, um, in one week. But um, I think that the new Mascara Dorada, Mascara Dorada 2, will be just as, if not more successful than the first one in terms of um, what what he's done in his career overall, where he's worked, the, the bookings he gets, um, and the reception he gets from people. Um, if you were unable to see this match live, you can watch the highlights on CMLL's YouTube channel right now. Um, they, you know, you don't have to wait. There's not a delay for the highlights. The highlights, you can just go ahead and see some of the most exciting moments of that match between Desperado and Mascara Dorada 2. Um, the full match, again, you'll be able to see it next week. It goes up two weeks after they air it live. So next week, you can watch the whole thing. If you want, go ahead, jump on there, watch the highlights next week, watch the whole thing. It's a fun time. Um, of course, oh, I didn't say this, but Mascara Dorada 2 did win that match with Desperado. Um... Very, very satisfying. Good match. Very good match. One of the matches that I was really anticipating and that I was hoping would steal the show um, was Mistico Soberano Jr. and Atlantis Jr. against Los Ingobernables de Japón, Naito, Titan, and Bushi. And while it did not steal the show, I do think it was still a pretty solid match. Um... Los Ingobernables de Japón, they got a very nice showcase as a trio in Arena México, coming back after so many years. I was very I was very happy with the results. Um, Mistico, on the challenging team, he seemed to be the only one who really got any offense in. Soberano Jr. and Atlantis Jr., they seemed to just be there. Uh, they needed two pretty good guys. And uh, they need and um, they needed somebody to set up the finish and eat the pin, but losing um, Governor Japan, they they looked really good as a trio, a lot of great teamwork. Um, Naito looked great, Titan looked great, Bushi looked great. No complaints. I was hoping it would be a little bit more than it was, so it, I can't say it was top two matches of the night, um, but it was good. It was a good match. It was not as good as. Uh, Mascara Dorada, or our main event, which, let's talk about that now, because this, after thinking about it a little bit more, I think this was the best match of the entire night. I liked Mascara Dorada 2's um, debut, but I think this one was just a bit better, right? So, Volador Jr. and Rocky Romero for the historic welterweight title. Um, these two, they've had already a great match recently, and they put on another great match in this main event. The match started off very quickly. They were taking the picture. They get a really nice picture at the start of championship matches with the, the challengers and the champion, the ref holding the belt in the middle of the ring. They get a really nice picture. And the seconds, like the, the people who are in the corners for each luchador. Um, they get a really nice picture at the start of, of uh, championship matches. As soon as they got that picture, Volador Jr. hits a drop kick, takes uh, Romero out of the ring, right? So the match starts fast, um, intense. And it, it kept a pretty good pace for the entire match. In Volador Jr.'s corner, the guy who was cornering Volador Jr. was Mascara Dorada too, And in uh, Rocky Romero's... Um, which Mascara Dorada 2 was still in his uh, ring gear 
from when he wrestled earlier in the night. Tiger Mask 4 was in Rocky's corner. And this fool had already hit the showers, put on a, some fresh gear. Um, not wrestling gear, but he had a he had on a fresh tracksuit. Put on a new mask to be the, to be the corner man. He looked good. He looked fresh, right? But, but Tiger Mask, he was in Rocky's corner. Uh, Mascara Dorada over in Volador Jr.'s corner. This was a one-fall match. One pin, one submission, ends the entire match. No two out of three. And there were some really great spots in this match as well. I recommend uh, watching it, the full thing, next week. Well, go ahead and watch the highlights if you can for this week. Um, there was a really, really good one near the end of the match where Volador Jr. hits this brutal suplex off of the crowd barricade uh, onto the floor outside the ring. Just a, a mean, nasty thud. And, of course, this isn't, like, super innovative. You know, this this is a spot that happens all the time across many different promotions. But it looked good. And in this match, it, it fit right in. Um, it fit right into the match. So, really great spot there. The finish is what absolutely got me. And I think the finish is what elevates this match uh, a bit above everything else uh, on the night. So, uh, Rocky, they're on the... There's, they're sitting up on the on the turnbuckle, on the top rope. And Rocky Romero hits a, a Hurricane Rana into an arm bar from the top rope. And it looks tight, right? I'm like, oh, okay. And then Volador Jr. Uh, starts picking him up, almost like a... Well, would you call that like a deadlift powerbomb, I guess? Maybe like a deadlift powerbomb where you just... Uh, you're standing, leaning over, and he just uses his raw strength... He kind of like stands himself up and then he uses his strength to kind of get Rocky Romero up. And I thought, oh, okay, this is going to be the end, right? Um, this footballador junior, he's going to counter this into a powerbomb and then set up his finish and that's going to be it. Um, but Romero, when when Bolador junior has him in the air, like all he has to do is bring him down and uh, powerbomb him. Romero shifts his weight, shifts his, his momentum in a way that counters this attempted powerbomb again and puts Volador Jr. back into this armbar submission. It was so smooth. It was so sudden that it just, what a perfect, like what a, what a, what a perfect transition, I guess, from that powerbomb spot into no way. You're not getting that on me. I'm finishing you with this armbar and Volador taps and that's it. That's the end of the match. It was sudden and it was good. It was really good in my eyes and um, you know, Rocky Romero have been doing some really good stuff down in CMLL. After the match, it gets a little interesting here as well because, uh, like I said earlier, Mascara Dorada 2 was cornering Volador Jr. And after the match, he gets up into the ring, gets in the face of Rocky Romero. We're teasing a challenge for that for that uh, historic championship. And again, I will say, I think big things are on the horizon for Mascara Dorada 2. And I'm really hoping that he reaches his full, full potential here uh, here in the future. You know, great things, great things coming up for Mascara Dorada too, in my eyes. I know we just spent like the last 10 minutes talking about CMLL, but I do want to talk a little bit more about it because there is some more stuff for this month. Um, I was talking about June. I want to talk about July now. Um, this month, July, some pretty good CMLL events happening. First, Atlantis. 40th anniversary show. Atlantis hits 40 years. 40 years of uh, Lucha Libre. 40 years of CMLL specifically, actually. Um, 
I was reading Lucha Blog. He he did a small write up about this, and he he mentioned that um, even though they're I guess billing uh, July, it was a date in July. I think it was July 11 as uh, Atlantis' official start in CML. He said that he found uh, Atlantis dates before that actually. Um, some I think he said back in April, April of uh, 40 years ago. So maybe the actual Atlantis anniversary should have been back in April because that's when he actually was breaking into CMLL. But they're billing it as the 11th. He says that that's the official um, date. But it's funny because the show, the, the his 40th anniversary show, is uh, I think they're doing it on the 14th. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit more about Atlantis and his 40 years after we're done with the news. Um, but this show is going to be the return of the original Mascara Dorada, Metallic, to see MLL. He's coming back for this show. Um, we also have the Leyenda de Plata tournament, 21st of July. It's the first week of the Leyenda de Plata tournament. Um, they just announced the participants for this year's tournament, and it's looking pretty good. Um, Mystico, Metallic, Rocky Romero, Volador Jr., Mascara Dorada 2, Titan, Templario, and Dragon Rojo Jr. All facing off for a chance to take home the trophy. Last time the tournament was held, Titan won the whole thing. Mystico has won it three times in a row, um, but this was back 2006, 2007, 2008. I am not sure who won it, or I, I'm not sure who should win it, sorry, I'm not sure who should win it, but I know who I would like to see, I know. I think I know one of the guys I'd like to see in the final, um, Rocky Romero absolutely put him in the final, the other guy in the final, I'm not sure who I would want, um, Metallic, he would be good, you know, he's returning, I'm not sure if they'll give it to him, because this would be like, I think it's like, Second Friday show returning. Uh, Mascara Dorada 2 might be a bit early for him, but he, I mean, he he looks good. So maybe it's not too early for him. Maybe they want to put a rocket on him and, you know, let's get, let's get that man, let's get his name in lights, right? Um, and then Titan, like I said, he could win it again. Um, it wasn't last year that they held it. The last time they held it was in 2021. So it's not like an annual thing. They, they don't hold it every single year, but they've held it plenty of times. I wouldn't be opposed to uh, Mystico against Rocky Romero, but uh, maybe one of the younger guys should win it all. It's, it's going to be a fun. It's going to be a fun event, a fun tournament, regardless. Um, so the first one is on the 18th. Oh, is it on the 18th? One week is the first round that determines the finalists, and then the week after that is the actual final where we will crown a winner. Big things, right? Big things uh, from CMLL in July. Worth watching. Worth watching the Friday shows uh, for this month, uh, for sure. Absolutely. Maybe not the one today. Maybe not the one this Friday. Didn't really look super interesting to me. I don't think I'm going to be watching this one. I'll probably just be catching recaps and keeping up with it in, in that regard. But um, the rest of the month is definitely, definitely looking like it's going to be worth watching. In AAA news, we're going to jump over to AAA. Um... Triple Mania, Triple Mania, sorry, I called it Triple Mania, Triple Mania, Tijuana, Tijuana, uh, is this month, still no resolution from the drama with Rouge quitting Triple A, 
We'll see how that plays out. Um, LA Park, he talked about it some on social media. If you're not following LA Park on social media, you should. He's really funny, um, but he's just been kind of still trying to build it up, saying, oh, Roosh is scared of me. That's why he dropped out. But we'll see if Roosh actually shows up. Maybe he will. Maybe this is a weird angle or something, but um, not sure. I have no idea. Couldn't tell you uh, either way. Could not tell you either way. Um, other than that, I can't really think of anything super recent that, uh, anything big from AAA recently. Um, WWE, of course we have to talk a little bit about WWE, but again, there's not much here. Uh, they had money in the bank. Sad day for the LWO. <laughs> Santos Escobar, Selena Vega, neither one won their briefcase. They were good being in the match. You know, that's all we can ask for. At least they were in the match, and they looked pretty good. Um, so it's fine. Uh, there were much better candidates to win that briefcase. It's not like either of them was super hot going into the event. Wouldn't really have made a lot of sense to give either one of them the uh, briefcase. Although I would like to see both of them, especially Santos. Selena, maybe give her a little more time uh, to build. But I think uh, Santos, you should, they should start using him a little more in any capacity. I think that would be great for him, great for the company, uh, great for the LWO in general. Dominic Mysterio, I'm going to mention him because son of Rey Mysterio, why not? Still getting pretty, pretty, uh, pretty, pretty great heat. Uh, he's still getting booed insanely. And it was really smart to put him in a match with Cody Rhodes at Money in the Bank because people love Cody Rhodes right now. That fool is very loved. Um, so putting Dom in the uh, in the match with Cody Rhodes, mm, fantastic, fantastic decision there. Dom still gets booed. Cody Rhodes, uh, he gets to come out and look good and put Dom in his place. Obviously, Cody wins. Dom continues to be a little, little good villain. Um, little uh, I don't know, you know, cowardly villain. You know, very fun overall. I liked it. So as I mentioned earlier, I did want to take a brief look at Atlantis, his 40-year career, and what makes him uh, special, I guess, in Lucha Libre. Why, why, is this, why is this special? 40 years, okay, so what, right? 40 years of any career, in my eyes, is obscenely special. 40 years of wrestling can be very special. Sometimes there's people who um, do 40 years of wrestling, but... Uh, maybe they just, the 40 years is more of a, they didn't really know when to stop rather than they had 40 pretty good years, right? In terms of Atlantis, um, he is a guy who made it 40 years in a top promotion who has taken a lot of prominent masks, a lot of big masks from people. So I think Atlantis is very special in that regard. If we're talking about his in-ring ability, we can have that discussion Another time, but uh, if we're just looking at names of masks that he has taken, right? He's taken some pretty big masks. Um, Mano Negra, Kung Fu, Talisman, his legendary, legendary fight with uh, Viano Tercero, Ultimo Guerrero, and La Sombra. These are, to me, these are, I think, his the biggest ones he's taken. Um, either legends or just very solid guys of their time who all lost their mask to Atlantis. And Atlantis, um, he has always been a CMLL guy, basically, right? 
uh, he has always been like a company guy. I was reading, and I, I very much apologize for this because I don't remember if I was reading an article or if I was watching an interview with somebody um, where they were talking about the split of AAA from CMLL back in 92, right? And when Antonio Peña was was rounding up people uh, in the CMLL locker room to take with him to AAA, and somebody said that they asked Atlantis if he wanted to leave AAA, I think they said they would pay him more money, or he wanted to leave CMLL for AAA, and they said they would pay him more money, but they said that he stayed, uh, I think it was out of loyalty, right? And I am I have to find this because it's killing me that I'm saying this and I've I can't give you the source immediately, but I'm, I'm going to verify this. I'm going to figure this out. And on the next episode, I will 100% for certain let you know where I, I saw this information because I know it's not, I did not make this up. I'm not making this up. I'm not in the business of making things up, right? Um, I, I heard it somewhere or I read it somewhere and I have to go back and find that. But he did it out of loyalty is what they were saying. Um, to CMLL, to Paco Alonso, um, I've seen some comments again online about Atlantis uh, being close to Paco Alonso. Again, I can't, uh, this one I can't verify because this was comments on, uh, I think it was on Cage Match I was reading because uh, I was like, what are what are the Cage Match users' opinions on Atlantis? Which the Cage Match users' opinions don't really hold a lot of weight, but sometimes they, they uh, lead to some interesting tidbits that I go and go down another rabbit hole to learn a bit more about. And this was one. I couldn't find anything to verify this, saying that he was uh, close with Paco Alonso and maybe friends, had a good relationship. I guess that's the best way to say it. He had a good relationship with Paco Alonso. He's the former boss of CMLL. Um, Alantis has talked about uh, when Paco Alonso passed. Alantis did talk about how much he admired Paco, how grateful he was for Paco uh, believing in him and supporting him throughout his career in CMLL. And I do think that uh, him choosing to stay in CMLL was paid back uh, by CMLL over the length of his career. Um, they definitely have treated him very well and uh, made him very important to CMLL uh, in general, being one of their top technicos, right? And for a majority of his career, Atlantis has been a technical. Um... For a long time, he was a technical, and it wasn't until I think the mid two thousands they turned him. Um, people were getting bored of the super baby face, the super technical, right? I guess that's what you would consider. I mean, that is what is considered a technical and a baby face, the good guys, right? People were starting to think this is a little boring. This is a little overplayed. LOL, Atlantis wins, right? But um, they turned him in the mid two thousands, and there's a match when he is evil Atlantis. That's not, they didn't change his name to evil Atlantis, but it's just like Atlantis stayed the same. He would come out in different ring gear. Um, black, his, his usual colors are like the blue, the blue, the black, and the white mask. Like the, the base of the mask is white, has blue and black on it. And then like his blue, blue legs on this singlet, black uh, on the upper part of it. But I remember when, he, or yeah, I remember when he's heel, he is uh, wearing red. The red replaces the blue because this is a more evil version of Atlantis. And one of the best matches from this era, or maybe not one of the best, one of my favorite is Atlantis versus Mystico. That is a very fun and a very good match. You can find that one online. 
Watch that match. It's very, very good, uh, Atlantis as a heel. Um, he plays such a fun, like, I don't know, fun over-the-top heel. Because he's not, like, overly evil, but he's, like, over-the-top bad in a way in a way that's very entertaining and a little bit funny um because it's like he's trying so hard to be bad <laughs> um and he is uh but for a long time Atlantis's uh name Atlantis's nickname has been El Idolo de los Niños right El Idolo de los Niños and it's funny uh, <laughs> because when he's when he's heel um sometimes the announcers call him El Idolo de los Niños Rudos the idol of the bad kids, right? <laughs> the idol of the rude kids. Um, he's not the super superhero good guy. He's the idol of the rude kids, the mean kids. But if you um, look at Atlantis in the ring today, right? If you watch him recently, 2023, he is slowing down a bit, you know? He was slowing down back in 2015 when he took La Sombra's mask, when he unmasked Andrade. But even when then, when he was slowing down, he's still fantastic. Right, he, the match was still fantastic. He himself working a little bit slower, but the match itself is still fantastic. I'm not sure that Atlantis will ever get another major mask um, because of uh, you know he is 60, 60 plus years old now. Maybe he is exactly sixty, but you know he is a bit, quite a bit older now. Um, losing a step a bit that hasn't stopped some other luchadors, but I'm not sure that he gets another big mask. Um, I saw an interview today, actually, with Fuerza Guerrera. Fuerza Guerrera did a mat or did an interview with again plugging them again. El blog de lucha. Um, it was posted yesterday. It wasn't posted today. Sorry, it was it was posted yesterday, not today. Where Fuerza Guerrera is talking about Atlantis asking for a crazy amount of money to be in another mask versus mask match. So we may actually never see him in another one. We may actually never see him lose it which is fine. And Fuerza Guerrera, this is a little off topic, but you know what? This is a fun podcast where we like to talk about a variety of different luchadores. And it's okay if we vary from the structure a little bit sometimes. But Fuerza Guerrera is 70 years old. Disfu is also 70 years old. Satanico has a few more years on him, but Fuerza Guerrera is 70. And Fuerza uh, has been talking about retiring soon. Even though he says he feels great, he moves great, I have not watched the Fuerza Guerrera match recently. I know he has wrestled on CMLL shows, but I have not watched one of his matches recently. So I can't tell you what he looks like in the ring. You will have to find that for yourself. Again, keep in mind, he's 70 years old. So anyway, um, one last thing that's going to serve as a perfect segue into our next segment of the show is mentioning that Atlantis has starred in a few of his own movies. I have not watched uh, the entire... I haven't watched an entire one of his movies, but I did watch a very long trailer for one of them. And it is, you know, just a classic Lucha Libre movie. Um, fun, over-the-top, campy. If you like Lucha Libre movies, they all have a very uh, similar formula, which is not a bad thing. It just has to be something you like. Right. Um, but that leads us to our last segment of the day, which will be a pretty lengthy segment. The Lucha Movie Spotlight. This week, we're talking about a classic, the 1979 film Misterio en las Bermudas. Mystery in the Bermudas. 
This movie stars El Santo, Blue Demon, and Mil Mascaras as the lucha heroes saving the day. The director, Gilberto Martinez Solares, is actually one of the most important directors Mexico ever had. He directed over 160 films and was best known for his comedies. So we have a heavy hitter directing this uh, film. Over 160 movies, 160 films, I'm sorry, um, but best known for comedy. So how did he do on this movie? So the plot of the movie, it starts off pretty basic, but it quickly goes in a very uh, different direction, I guess. There were some absolutely incredible scenes and some scenes that I feel like uh, maybe they could have been shortened or left out altogether. So the movie starts actually with a fisherman observing a powerful storm out on the seas while he eats his dinner. And he's uh, looking at the sea. It's like nighttime. And then he goes to bed and it cuts the next day. And he goes out fishing and uh, with his protege. I guess it's his protege, this young man who goes out fishing with him. They go down to the docks. And the first thing that they catch, he throws the line out, the hook, and uh, he brings it up. It's a silver mask covered in seaweed, which in my eyes is just an insanely raw way to introduce a movie about El Santo. They cast and he pull up just his mask covered in seaweed. So he starts talking about, uh, he starts talking to his protege, the young man that's fishing with him, about how in the past El Santo, Blue Demon, and Mil Mascaras came to find out why there were so many things going missing out in the water in Las Bermudas, in the Bermudas, right? The Bermuda Triangle, basically. We get introduced to El Santo Blue Demon and Mil Mascaras in just the classic lucha movie way. They're beating up some jobbers. They're beating up some jobbers on a local show. It's a very, very one-sided two out of three falls match, just brutalizing these guys. Um, I don't think the jobbers even got like two hits of offense in, really. The match ends uh, after two consecutive falls that um, our super team, because I feel like, honestly, that's that's what you can call it. The, these three guys, our super trio, um, just takes two consecutive falls, and it just transitions to the next scene, right? Um, our guys, looking dapper as ever, because if there's one thing about Lucha Libre movies of this era... Um, or just the genre in general, you know the luchadors are going to come out looking good in their casual wear. So they come out looking real dapper, um, and they're outside of a hotel uh, drinking some juice, basically, right? Drinking some juice by the pool, and El Santo gets a call, so he he uh, steps away. And there's these two ladies uh, by the pool who are also at the Lucha Libre match, who just so happen to be by the pool as well, and they want to get to know Blue Demon and Mascaras. But duty calls. Santo calls them away. Uh, and this is this is really setting up the main conflict of the movie. <laughs> Which is a little funny to me. There are some extremely important Iranians who want to talk to our three heroes tomorrow. Um, they That was the call that Santo got. You know, they're setting up a meeting with these Iranians who have something to tell them. Um, but for now... They go back to their room and they're like, well, let's go listen to the news, see what's what's happening. Um, so they they turn on the radio and they start listening what's going on, right? And they 
this is, uh, I'm it's just thinking about it is, I, I don't even know how to present it because it's, it's a very insane, a very insane but hilarious scene. So Santo Blue Demon and Mean Mascaras are listening to the radio and they hear uh, over a radio transmission that the fisherman from the start of the movie, who is their friend, who was also at the Lucha Libre match where they squashed the jobbers, he is lost at sea. His last communication, there's a storm coming in and he's lost at sea and he needs help. And all of his, basically like they've lost contact with him. And Santo and Demon and, and Mi Mascaras, they're like, oh, isn't that your friend Santo? Isn't that the guy you, you just introduced us to? He's like, yeah, let's go find him, right? <laughs> so they go out on the water on, this, on the boat, on a boat, right? They go out on the water on their own boat, like this uh, speedboat kind of, speedboat kind of boat, right? And we cut back to the fishermen and we see a device in the water that's causing just all these issues, it's causing these strange storms and travelers to just disappear. And this device is shutting off electronics and the fisherman is caught and he just can't get his boat back on. And he starts getting harassed by a shark. He starts getting harassed by a shark. The shark flips his boat over and the entire time it's very funny because you see uh, just a shot of the guy in the boat. Then it's a shot of a, just a small shark in the water. Not simultaneously. Like it cuts to a, sh a shark underwater and then it cuts back to the guy in the boat. It's kind of simulating, implying that that shark is in the water with him and that he's about to get got. It flips over his boat. So now he's just in the water. So now the tension is high and you're thinking, oh my God, this guy's going to get eaten up by that shark. Ah, but you forget, this is a Lucha Libre movie. Santo, Blue Demon, Mini Mascaras, they pull up on this boat and the music is getting a little more intense now they jump into the water we see them jump into the water we cut back to the shark and we cut back to the fisherman floating in the water it's kind of close up on him and the camera starts panning out and you see behind the fisherman unaware of what's happening there's a giant red spot on the water <laughs> like massive amounts of blood have been spilt and you're thinking, oh my God, the shark, it's gotten somebody, right? The shark has eaten one of our heroes or has severely injured somebody or maybe has already hurt this 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 fisherman and he just is just cool as a cucumber for some reason. But no, as we continue to pan out and we see the giant red spot in the water, our three heroes come out of the water completely, completely unscathed. The implication that these three legendary luchadors have somehow beaten a shark to death under the water using only their bare fists and lucha libre knowledge and have just spilt, have just created this giant splotch of blood in the water from the shark, which they have just eviscerated with their hands. They don't even say anything after saving this guy. They just solemnly pull him out of the water <clears throat> Solemnly pull him out of the water into the boat, take him back to land. Not a single word has been spoken. They walk across the pier and then boom, next scene. They don't mention anything about the shark. They don't mention anything about the danger he was in. They don't even ask him what happened. They just pull up, jump in the water, beat a shark to pieces. And then, you know what, let's, let's go on to the next scene. So <laughs> the next scene is is setting up, I guess. It's set up for the rest of the movie, which we have our first action sequence where they beat up the shark. They literally destroy it. But we learn that these Iranians are telling our heroes about a plot to kidnap 
or assassinate the Iranian princess. She's royalty. And they are asking El Santo Blue Demon and Mil Mascaras to protect her. They are the best people to protect her. And Santo says, well, why are you giving us this mission? Why are we the guys who are best equipped to protect the princess? And then it's revealed Santo has ties to this Iranian royalty. He taught the princess martial arts when she was a kid. And um, so he already knows her and he would be the best one to protect her from any danger from this kidnapping plot. And also there's a decoy princess who they're going to use to um, throw off any plot that may happen anyway. So our plot is set up. We wait for the princess to arrive. <laughs> Mil Mascaras, we again cut to the next scene, just sudden cut to the next scene. Mil Mascaras is walking on this pier with three bags of groceries just filled to the brim. I'm assuming he's walking back to the hotel, wherever he may be staying with his groceries for the week. <laughs> and he gets jumped by just these three random goons on a pier. He gets jumped and he gets beat up for a little bit, but he's mean mascaras, you know. He is stronger than any three random goons. Um, and he throws two of the guys into the water and he throws a third guy into the water and he's looking into the... This is... Just a classic Lucha movie. He's looking into the water and he somehow does not see that one of the guys has swum back to shore, walked back onto the pier and is standing behind him and just hits him with a, a pump handle. I guess what you call it, a pump handle, double handed pump handle to the back of the head and just immediately knocks out Mil Mascaras, takes his watch, takes his wallet and gets him moving. Right. So Mil Mascaras is knocked out on this pier. Cut to the next scene. He is in this lady's house. He is unmasked. Um, I don't even remember if he has a shirt on at this part, but he's sitting in this chair. He's waking up and he's like, oh, what happened? And she tells him, um, oh, yeah, I found you uh, knocked out on the pier. So I brought you back to my house to uh, make sure you're OK. And he just is just like, oh, well, thanks. You know, not really questioning it in any way. Um, but this woman has... Uh, already been in the movie. She was at the Lucha Libre event at the very beginning when they're beating up the jobbers. She was there and she mentions it. She was like, I'm a huge fan. I was at your event and I want to get to know you better and I want to hang out again um, romantically, basically. So Mil Mascaras really had it like that. Um, just at this point, what we assume is a random woman has taken him into her care, nursed him back to health and is trying to set up another date. It's <laughs> trying to set up a date with him. Um, he's very obviously getting set up. Uh, everyone except for him sees it, I guess. The, the audience can very clearly see that he's getting set up. But she's like, I'd like to see you again. And um, I actually have some friends for your friends, Santo and Blue Demon. <laughs> um, and uh, we would like to hang out with the three of you, us three ladies, and you three uh, big, burly luchador men, right? And of course, you know, love interests for the three of them it cuts back and we see our villain and surprise surprise our bald villain i'm gonna call him the bald fraud from now on our bald villain is in cahoots with these three ladies they work for him they're trying to figure out why are the luchadors here what why are they even here are they just here just because they're doing shows here is there another reason are they here to stop us we're gonna kidnap the princess are they gonna try and stop us from doing that they don't know yet but we're going to figure this out. We're going to get some intel from these guys. So we go back, cut to another scene. Um, mean Mascaras is introducing this lady and her friends to 
his friend, Santo Blue Demon. And immediately, immediately, each of the other two women uh, attaches themselves to Santo and Blue Demon. And they're like, hey, let's get some alone time together. Let's get to know each other a little bit, right? Let's get it. Let's, you know, me and you, you and I, hopeless romantics. That's how it is. You're the Santo, you're the Blue Demon. The, the women, they throw themselves on you. You know, you've got all the glory, all the women, all the power. Let's get to know each other a little bit. And of course, they agree. So Santo and this lady, they head back to her place. She's like, let's, let's go back to my place and uh, talk for a bit, you know, get to know each other. So Santo's like, hey, that ain't no problem. Let's do it. And this is setting up, again, another insane scene. Santo, he gets to this lady's house and she's pouring him a drink. And she's like, what would you, what would you have to drink? And he's like, oh, whatever you're having. Classic, smooth Santo. Um, and when she's pouring him a drink, she's, she's pouring, she's basically spiking his drink with a truth serum where he starts taking a few sips and she's talking about how she has a father who is a scientist, um, but, and he was working on all these great things, but he was kidnapped by somebody and he's, he's nowhere to be found and she has no idea where he is. And Santo is like, I I'll help you find him, but, uh, uh, my head, uh, and then he's like passes out completely. <laughs> the, the drink has made him pass out, and this truth serum has allowed him to uh, unconsciously answer any questions that this lady has for him. So she's interrogating him about, oh, why are you here? Uh, what's the significance of you being here? Um, who are you here to protect? And he just straight up tells her, yeah, we're here to protect the princess of Iran. Um, and uh, we originally, we were just coming here to wrestle, but that's what we're doing now. So now she knows his plan. And then she gets up and she pours him another drink and spikes this one with the antidote to the truth serum. <laughs> so it wakes him up and he drinks it like she makes him drink it. And then he wakes up and he's like, oh, oh, God, oh, what happened? And she's like, I don't know. You just passed out. And he's like, oh, hmm. And she's like, maybe uh, your blood pressure fell because it's so hot outside. And he was he's he just completely buys it. He just says, yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> no questioning whatsoever. You're probably right. That's probably it. So uh, what were we talking about? And they talk a little bit more. And then this is where the scene just takes another step to the extreme in my eyes. Because he agrees to help her find her father when he wakes up. And then they just immediately start making out with each other. And as they're, as they're giving each other the old smoocheroo, these two guys just appear in the middle of the room. They're too preoccupied smooching, but these two guys in these futuristic suits just appear quite literally in the middle of the room. Take a look at them smooching. Think about it for a second and then just disappear again. There's no explanation for this yet. These two guys can just appear and reappear wherever they want to be, apparently. And then uh, Blue Demon, Milascaras, and the other two girls show up and they're like, Santo, it's time to train. Let's go to the gym. And Santo's like, I don't want to. And, uh, he, I don't want to trade. I want to stay, basically, I want to stay here and make out with this lady and, and not do any training. Obviously that's not going to fly with Blue Demon and Mimascara. So they take him to the gym. They take this fool to the gym, getting their workout in shortest workout scene, uh, I've ever seen. They do like one exercise each <laughs> and then they go back to the ladies who are all sitting. They, they just came to watch them train their very short training regimen. They just came to watch them train. They go, they run back to the ladies on the bleachers and they're like, let's get out of here. Let's go get some dinner. But the henchmen of the bald man show up. 
just pull up to this rec center where they're working out and then just immediately on site starts swinging. Of course, our heroes, our luchadors, are just beating the dust out of these guys, just beating them to pieces. Um, but in the scuffle, the futuristic guys who appeared while me, while Santo and um, old girl were having a makeout sesh, they appear again, and they this time they grab her and they take her. Um, and this, like all good lucha movies, leads to a car chase scene. And none of these movies are complete without a couple of car chase scenes. I'm just gonna say that, or just chase scenes in general. So we. We, we see them speed away in a car. Santo, Demon, and uh, Mil Mascaras all get in their own cars. I guess they, they don't just get in one car. They get into their own cars, and they speed off after them. The guys get to the pier before, before our heroes. They jump on a boat, and they take off. Well, of course, our heroes have to get on boat. They have to get on a boat, a speedboat, and they chase behind them. So they're chasing them on the water. High-speed chase over the open seas. Lo and behold, that mysterious machine starts acting up again, and the kidnappers and this lady are gone. They have failed in rescuing her. They're not even sure where they went now. They get away. Turns out, our kidnappers, um, and this is a different group of kidnappers than the bald guy, the bald fraud, who is trying to kidnap the princess. Our kidnappers have been kidnapping people on the high seas and taking them to this very futuristic compound where they are sedated and purified in some strange little fountain before being assimilated into the compound, right? And this compound is specifically for the world's top scientists and really the top people of the world to live in peace and harmony while the rest of humanity destroys itself. It's an ultra-civilized society, ultra-advanced society and completely hidden to the rest of the world. And guess what? This is where that lady's father, the scientist, the great scientist who has been missing, has been this entire time. He's actually been doing great. He loves it here. He's living his best life. There's no problems for him here. El Santo really doesn't have to do anything to resolve this plot point, right? The, the, the lady finds her father living it, living it up in this advanced society all in a day's work. All in a day's work for El Santo. He didn't have to lift a finger. Anyway... <laughs> that plot line is resolved. It resolves itself. And we we cut back to the assassination attempt on the princess by the bald fraud. Surprise, surprise, the plan fails. Some underpaid bodyguard gets absolutely obliterated. Um, and even if it had not hit the bodyguard and it had hit the princess, this was the fake princess, remember? So <laughs> this uh, this fake princess... Uh, gets away the ball of fraud is like ah dang it you know we didn't get him well we get her again we'll get her next time right um we were supposed to kidnap her but plans changed so we're just gonna assassinate her now right and uh he the ball guy tries to break into the princess's hotel room he's like let's try again and he gets in there he offs the maid that's cleaning he starts rummaging through her stuff but he gets discovered by the princess and our heroes who also happen to be there. He starts getting chased to the rooftop. This fool somehow climbs down a hotel rooftop. This is not a small hotel. This has to be at least five to six to seven stories. Climbs down, runs to his helicopter, and flies off in the time that our heroes get to the top of the rooftop. So this fool was zooming down. I don't know how he got down the building that fast. 
but he did. Um, so he gets away. We cut to the next scene. The helicopter is just conveniently waiting for him. Cut to the next scene. Princess and her entourage, they are now signing this very important, valuable treaty for Iran and other countries. And yet again, the bald fraud, his goons pull up. Don't say a single word. They run into the room. They blast everybody else except for the princess and our heroes. I don't know why they didn't even try to to blast El Santo, Blue Demon, and Mascaras, but maybe they just assume oh, these guys are really tough. They're probably immune to bullets. They're probably immune to bullets, so let's not even try it with them. They blast the other guys, and they're like, they're like, we're taking the princess, and if you try and follow us, we're going to off her too. Um, So they, they run out of the room, and uh, our heroes are like, what are we waiting for? Let's go after them. Uh, the, the, the henchmen jump into a car it's because it's the henchmen and it's the two remaining girls who were spying on our heroes who were trying to be romantic with them earlier and the two girls have the princess the henchmen get into a car and take off they do not give a damn about the princess at this point capturing the princess or not they just get get in the car and take off the two ladies are about to take off with the princess in their custody and el santo despite being the last one out of the room, has somehow managed to climb to the rooftop of this building, which is a much smaller building, jump off the rooftop onto the back of this convertible where they are getting ready to leave and turning the tables on them <laughs> immediately. And they just immediately give up the location of the hideouts and where where the, um, <laughs> the kidnapper's base is. And um, they get arrested. They call the cops. Uh, the police take away these two ladies. But for some reason, they don't leave a single officer behind to be with the princess. Uh, our heroes go after the, the other kidnappers to try and, I guess, find the head of the operation with them. But turns out this, mo this man, this fool, has been lurking in the shadows the entire time. And as soon as everybody leaves, and it's just the princess staying at the hotel by herself, he comes out of the shadows outside the hotel and slices her with a literal straight razor. Like he's some sort of of demon barber, like Sweeney Todd. He, t he just slices her across the back, grazes her across the back and cuts her. But she escapes again. Somehow she gets away. She gets away from this fool. <laughs> and we this is entering the very last stretch of the movie. Which at this point, I am just having a blast watching this film. Um, and I, the action is just so insanely goofy that it's just great we're in the last stretch of the movie our heroes they pull up to the hideout and once again this is probably the single most insane part of the entire film because when they pull up to the hideout and they get out of the car and they start walking up uh to the the house where these guys are hiding out these explosions start going off every few steps and i thought oh my god they're walking through a minefield how are they traversing this minefield just by eye and how are they like they're setting off the explosions how are they you know stepping on the mines but like okay i guess they're just moving fast enough the mines are going off but it's not a minefield lo and behold there's a henchman standing near the house who has just a box of grenades that he is picking up out of the box and just 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 throwing them at the luchadors and they are somehow First, dodging the grenades so they're not hit directly and just immediately exploded. But then the grenades are landing so close to them that they are somehow dodging all the shrapnel at close range from the grenades this guy is throwing. And he's having a 
blast throwing them. He's like laughing at them while he's throwing these grenades. Somehow Mean Mascaras gets behind him. I don't understand exactly how. I don't understand how he lost sight of Mean Mascaras. Shadow step. Mean Mascaras shadow stepped behind him or something. And he knocks him out. He knocks this guy out. He knocks the guy with the grenades out. Um, But he doesn't even put him in a sleeper hold. If you look at where his arms are positioned, it's more of a neck crank, but it's strong enough to knock this guy out. Mean Mascaras looks down at the box grenades. He picks one up and he starts walking away. And this other guy shoots at him. He dodges the bullet, beams this guy with a grenade, just <laughs> line drive right at this guy. The grenade just explodes right next to him, takes him out immediately. We cut back to Santo and Blue Demon at the house, basically outside the house, trying to find a way in to get the rest of the goons. There's four guys in total. They take Mean Mascaras took out two by himself. Well, I can't say by himself. He used a box of grenades. Um, and Santo gets ambushed by this guy. He fights him off. He's standing by a window. There's another guy inside the house with a literal shotgun, not even 10 feet away. Santo somehow dodges, somehow dodges a shotgun from less than 10 feet away. Struggles with this henchman. Blue Demon is now fighting the guy inside, knocks the, the shotgun away from him. They ultimately win both of their fights. Uh, Kind of in brutal fashion, honestly. And they win their fights and they run back to... They start running back to the car and they find me and Mascaras on the ground eating some bananas. And he's like, huh. basically like, huh, y'all want a snack? And <laughs> basically laughing at him because he's like, huh, look how fast I, I won my fight. My brother in Christ, you threw a grenade at a guy. But <laughs> they start rushing back to... <laughs> to the princess because they're like oh my god the main guy's not even here he's probably hit the princess he's probably trying to still assassinate her guess what he is the bald fraud is in her hotel room and she fends him off because remember she is a very highly trained uh, martial arts expert he fights her she fights uh, him off for a bit and right as he's about to get her right as he's tired her out he's about to get her santo runs in the room tackles this fool and deals the finishing blow She's safe. The plan has been thwarted. Surely, this is the end of the movie, right? A happy ending for all. But wait, how did Santo's mask end up in the water covered with seaweed? What, what happened here? We cut to another scene. Our heroes boarding a boat and sailing off into the sea. But again, that machine that is in the water causes them to disappear. Mysteriously, they're never to be seen again. We cut back to the fisherman from the beginning of the movie. He says, surely, we are in the end times. The disappearance of El Santo is a sign of the apocalypse. The end times are here. The next shot is quite literally a nuclear bomb going off in the distance. And then the movie just ends. At no other point in this film, unless I completely missed this plot point, at no other point was a nuclear bomb ever even remotely hinted at or or mentioned we don't really get a resolution to what happened to santo blue demon mil mascaras and the princess it's just assumed they're lost at sea maybe taken into this super advanced society where the scientists and his daughter are now that's what i that's i think that's what the implication is not still not sure what the nuclear bomb had to do with anything at this point but if i had to rate this movie 
on a scale of 10, if we if we invent a Lucha movie scale, and this is a scale exclusively for Lucha Libre movies, we're not going into other forms of cinema. I think this is a very solid and insane film. It's filled with action and genuinely unpredictable twists, unpredictable sequences that I, in a million years, could not have thought of myself. I rate this one a solid... Seven and a half out of ten. And this has also been the end of uh, this segment and the end of our episode for today. So again, I want to thank you one more time for listening, and I will see you on the next episode of the Club Lucha Podcast. See ya!